The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, Pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March to Zion broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of salvation by grace. morning. It's a great blessing to be able to speak to you on the radio. We're so thankful for the radio stations that allow us to continue to broadcast, and we're so thankful for you, the listeners. It's great to hear from you. It's so encouraging to know that you are listening, and I encourage you to write me by snail mail or by email. My email address is tim at t-i-m-m-c-c-o-o-l-l-a-w dot com. That's tim at t-i-m-m-c-c-o-o-l-l-a-w dot com. 
I would really love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, that would be wonderful. Also, I invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church anytime that you can. We're located just off of Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Acola. We enjoy worshiping the Lord in a very simple manner. We come together, we sing, we preach, we pray, and we rejoice in the message of salvation by grace alone, which simply means that the Lord has taken care of our salvation, and it's only up to us to glorify Him as His born-again children of God. So if you rejoice in that message or are interested in that message, then come and worship with us. Our website is BethlehemPBC.org. That's BethlehemPBC.org. I want to mention an upcoming meeting this coming Saturday at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. They'll be having their annual meeting there, and I know their pastor, who is also my brother, Elder Chris McCool, they would love to have you. They'll be hosting Elder Mike Ivey of Dallas, Texas, and also Elder Matt Stunstegart from California. So I encourage you to come and worship with them. They're located just north of Gordo on Highway 159. You travel about eight miles north towards Fayette on 159 and take a left at the Zion Grocery, and you'll see the church there on the right, Zion Primitive Baptist Church. That'll be this Saturday at 10 o'clock with lunch and an afternoon service. I know they would love to have you. Without any further delay, we're going to hear a song and then bring to you a message from the Word of God. My latest sun is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My strongest trials now are past. My triumph is begun. Oh. victory.
This morning, I want to talk to you about the elect of God. The term elect is found all throughout the scripture, and I'm going to show you several different places where it occurs. We will cover almost all of those places, but not quite all of them. But we will look and see that this is a term that's found in the scripture. We want to understand exactly what it is and want everyone to know that it's nothing to be afraid of because God has chosen you as his child. That is basically what the term elect means. If you have a burden for the Lord and you feel a burden for your sins and you feel as though in your heart you love the Lord and you want to repent of your sins, that means you're one of his chosen children of God. And how special is that? It's no different than a couple going down to an adoption agency and saying, I want to choose this child to adopt. That is what God has done for you and for me. That's exactly how it's described in the Scripture, and we'll look at that. But we want to use as a text this morning the Apostle Peter writing in First Peter, the first chapter, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I tell you this morning, as we look at this two verses of Scripture, the way that Peter describes God's children is one of the most succinct and to-the-point verses that we can ever find that tells us about our salvation. And there is something that is glaringly missing in that, and I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. But look at what he says here. You are elect. That means chosen. That means to be called out. You are elect, chosen of God. How? It occurred, according to Peter, by the foreknowledge of God the Father. If you've been listening on the radio for a number of weeks, we've been covering the basics, and one of those was the foreknowledge of God. That's found in Romans 8 and 29 and other places in the Scripture where God set his love on a people. It's a special love. Of course, God knows everything, but he doesn't know everyone in the same way. This is an intimate, loving way that God knows his people. And our election, our being chosen, is according to his foreknowledge. Now listen, most folks, if you're walking down the street and polled people as you walked along, and you say, well, what do you think about election? Nine times out of ten, they would say, oh yeah, well there was one back in November or whenever the last election was. You see, that's sad that so few people understand this term. I've said this many times on the radio, and I want to say it again because it's very important, that in 1776, when this nation was founded, the founding fathers believed in the basic doctrines of the Bible. They believed in the total depravity of man, that mankind is not basically good or has a little bit of good in him, but he's totally depraved. Without God inserting himself into the equation or into the heart of man, he's totally depraved. He doesn't seek God. He doesn't care about God. There's not a little bit of good in man without God being in there. They also believed in the unconditional election of God, what we're talking about here today. They believed in the atonement of Christ upon the cross to those chosen children of God who are like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. They believed in the irresistible grace of God and the new birth. They believed in the preservation of the saints also. Listen carefully now. Our founding fathers believed these truths. And back in those days, the statistic that I've given before is three out of four churchgoers of the four or five denominations that existed at that time, you could ask three out of four churchgoers and they could talk about these things. What is election? What is predestination? What is sanctification? What is redemption? What is glorification? What is justification? What is being called? What is being born again? You see, People could talk about those things because they studied their Bibles a lot more back in those days. They didn't have as many distractions as we do today. So the reason I'm presenting this, the reason I'm preaching about this, is because it's so little known about it. So let's consider this. 
Peter describes God's children as the elect, and he says they are elect according to God's intimate, loving foreknowledge of them. And it's also through sanctification of the Spirit. That's another way to describe the new birth. The Spirit performs the new birth on the chosen child of God sometime between conception and death. We've referred many times to the examples that are given in the Scripture. We won't do that again. But understand, all the way down from an infant, all the way to the end of someone's life, to the moment right before they die, God can work on the heart of a child of God at any time, even if he's in the womb of his mother or if he's hanging there about to die like the thief on the cross under Roman execution. So you see, that sanctification of the Spirit is the new birth. That's another terminology that's used to describe the new birth, sanctification of the Spirit, a setting apart of the Spirit of the heart. And then it says it's also we're elect unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see how God the Father, God the Spirit, and the obedience of Jesus Christ who said in John the 6th chapter, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And brothers and sisters, I just believe that. I believe that Jesus will lose nothing. Why? Because he said he would lose none. He won't lose a single child of God because he chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Spirit of Christ goes into their heart, and the Son of God, Christ himself, hung on the cross and paid for their sins. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now, I mentioned a moment ago, I know you think I forgot it, but I didn't forget it. I mentioned a moment ago, what is glaringly missing from this in verse 2? He says, we're elect according to God's foreknowledge, we're elect according to the new birth of the Spirit, and we're elect according to the obedience and the paying of our sins by Jesus Christ on the cross. What's missing? Well, if you said man is missing from that, then you guessed it. There is nowhere in this verse of Scripture that our accepting or approaching God or coming to God or praying to God or being baptized in the name of God or persevering or anything like that, there is nothing contained in Peter's very succinct and to-the-point description of how we are chosen how we are children of God. There is nothing in there that involves man. Isn't that something? That's consistent, isn't it? Because if you've been listening over the last few weeks, I've preached from Romans 8, 29 and 30, where it says that he's foreknown us, he's predestinated us, he's called us, that's the new birth. He's justified us through Christ on the cross, paying for our sins, just as if I had never sinned. He declared us innocent, and he will glorify us one day. What is missing from those verses? You guessed it. Man is missing from those verses. You see, we don't contribute to our salvation. We don't do anything to get it or gain it. We have nothing within us that would attract God. As a matter of fact, we are enemies to God prior to God coming into our dead and sin heart and quickening us and making us alive. The thing that is glaringly missing from here is man's contribution to that. Listen, God didn't need our contribution in Our contribution wouldn't even be a contribution because we have no ability to please God. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the term here, elect, needs to be understood according to the Scripture. And there's nothing in this verse of Scripture that says we do anything. Now listen, as a born-again child of God, we need to follow the Lord. We need to praise Him. We need to be baptized. We need to do all the things that God commands us clearly to do. But we need to understand that those things... That's not what gives us or gains us our salvation. Think about it. God has already given it to us. If you have a desire to do those things, it means you're already his. You're already born again. You're already touched to the spirit. You're already a chosen child of God. Think about that. We do them because we love him and we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Now consider this. 
We've been talking about these couple verses here just exclusively. I want to branch out now and share with you several verses throughout the Word of God that deal with the term elect. And don't be afraid of it. It is God's movement towards you before the world was formed to set his love upon you and spare you from having to pay your sins in a burning lake of fire. For the life of me, I can't see how that's bad news. That's good news. It's not scary. And it doesn't put pressure on you. You see, God understands we couldn't handle that pressure, and we're not to be motivated by fear of burning in the lake of fire. No, we can't motivate. be motivated by fear. So he's motivating us by love to follow him and to serve him, not to become his child, but to act like his child. Isaiah, the 42nd chapter in the first verse, we're going to survey the Old Testament and the New Testament on this term elect, which is what Peter uses to describe God's children. Isaiah 42 and 1, behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. This is a reference to Jesus. It's also included in the New Testament. No doubt it's a reference to Jesus. And notice how God describes his own son, mine elect, my chosen one. That's what it means. Christ was the chosen one to pay for the sins of his people. And understand, because Christ was the elect, the primary elect, then we are elected through him. See? It's so beautiful. It's so important. Isaiah, the 45th chapter, the term elect is used in relation to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament was the chosen or elected nation that God sovereignly chose to demonstrate his name and his worship. You see, that was a chosen nation. All of the nations of the world did not have the true God, Jehovah God. As a matter of fact, none of them did. Now, you'll find places where there were there's children of God among all those nations, even during that time. But God chose in a special way to put his name and his worship was signified in the nation of Israel. And, you know, they got puffed up about that. They said, well, we're the chosen nation. Everybody else is not chosen. Everybody else is going to hell. You see, that's a terrible way to think. Because the Apostle Paul came along in the days after Christ ascended and explained to people like us who were not Jews, to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the, those of all kindreds and tribes and tongues and nation that he came into contact with. And he said to them, You've been told that these Jews are the only ones that are elect or chosen, but I'm here to tell you the gospel, the good news, the publication of good tidings is this, that God has a chosen people out of every nation, not just every nation, but every nation and denomination. God's got people among all denominations and nations. So understand the word elect was used to describe Jesus in the Old Testament, God's son, God's chosen one, and it was used to describe God's chosen nation. Well, listen to this language now in Matthew 24 and 22. This is what Jesus says himself. This is the red letters, as they say. Jesus says, and except those days should be shortened, he's referring to a time of great tribulation. He says, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Jesus used this term himself. And in verse 24 of that same chapter, he says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. There's another reference to that. And a little later on down in verse 31, Jesus says, He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. This is a reference to the end of time. And they shall gather together his, you guessed it, his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. See, Jesus used this language. Luke, the 18th chapter and the 7th verse, in reference to the woman who was continuing to pray and come before the unjust judge, and Jesus was encouraging us to pray and not to faint. Jesus says, in closing out that 
demonstration, that example there, he says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, that's a precious verse right there, brothers and sisters, to continue to pray. That widow woman petitioned that unjust judge again and again. He didn't care anything about God. He didn't care anything about the woman's problem. But because he grew so tired of hearing her daily petition, I could just picture her standing outside the door of the court. Or In those days, it would have been standing near the gate of the city. That's where they held the court. And she was always crying out, please hear me, judge. Please hear me, judge. And that judge got so sick of hearing her that he finally said, okay, I'll give you relief. And the point that Jesus is making is, that's not the way God is. He doesn't say, okay, I'll give you your relief. No, he loves us because he's chosen us. He even uses that description of chosen so that we can see how affectionate God is towards us. And somebody says, of course, but he's not answering my prayer. Well, maybe he's just not answering your prayer on the timetable that you want him to. Keep crying to him. And who knows? Maybe he's saying no. Think about it. God cares about his people, and Jesus himself described them as the elect. Romans 8 and 33, very close to the verses of Scripture we've been using over the last few weeks in regard to the basics. Romans 8 and 33, he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. That is right after the Apostle Paul has laid out those beautiful truths about our salvation. He says, You're foreknown, you're predestinated, you're justified, you're called, you're glorified. He says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who shall be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's chosen, God's elect? Romans 9 and 11 Whenever he speaks of those unborn boys, Jacob and Esau, he says in this verse, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. What is the purpose of God? He goes on and he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So the purpose of God according to election is found in God's sovereign choice. He didn't have to choose anybody, but he makes the point there in Romans 9 that election is why he chose Jacob. And he didn't choose Esau. He just left him like he was. He didn't bother Esau. He just left him like he was. But he really was a great benefit to Jacob, wasn't he? And the Apostle Paul realized that somebody might object to that if they don't fully understand depravity. If you object to that this morning, the Apostle Paul has already answered the question. He says, what shall we say then? Is it their unrighteousness with God? Is it unfair for God to do what he will when he doesn't have to choose anybody? And Paul says, God forbid. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You see, the subject with election is mercy. God didn't have to choose anybody. But through mercy, he chose a people out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation. Jacob was one of those people. Esau was not. God did not harm or bother Esau by just leaving him like he was. But again, he brought quite a benefit to Jacob by choosing him, did he not? Setting his love upon him, especially if you know the life of Jacob. Some people will look at that and say, well, I can't believe that God hated Esau and he loved Jacob. If you know anything about the life of Jacob, it's a miracle. It's amazing to think that God loved Jacob. He was a wormy little guy. He was a little mama's boy that hardly ever left home and stayed around the house and was a liar and a deceiver. Well, God's grace worked in his life and he became a great man, but It was in spite of his own sin and shortcomings. Romans, the 11th chapter and the 5th verse. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. You see, this is all through the scripture. Listen, we need to understand what election is. He says, and if it's by grace, elections by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. 
Otherwise, work is no more work. Is he trying to confuse us? No, he's trying to tell us election is of grace, and grace is an unmerited favor. You don't do anything to get it. So God didn't look and say, okay, well, he's going to be good, so I'll choose him. In verse 7, he says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. That's something, isn't it? I also want to catch verse 1 of that same chapter. He says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. You see how that ties in together? Colossians 3 and 12 says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. There's the Apostle Paul describing us as the elect again. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. The Apostle Paul said they knew their election. Why? Because he taught them that. He taught them that they were chosen. They weren't chosen because they had some goodness. They were chosen because it was the unmerited favor of God. Oh, child of God, do you know about your election this morning? I'm not talking about the one in November or the primary in June. I'm talking about God electing you, choosing you before the foundation of the world. Some say, well, God cast a vote for you. Satan cast a vote against you and you cast the tying vote. Well, there's no scripture for that. I mean, that sounds interesting, but there's no verse of scripture that supports that in any way. No, let me tell you, it's not some kind of tying vote that you break the tie and cast a vote. No, God's election was within himself, within the father, within the spirit, within the son. And it all had to do with his work. And he cast all the vote and it was for you because he loves you. First Peter one and two, Peter said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. In Second Peter 1 and 10, Peter says this, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Peter says we can experience our election. We can serve God, honor Him, praise His name, be baptized, follow the Lord as born-again children of God, not to get our election or not to become elected, but because we are. Oh, child of God. I say to you this morning, as the Apostle Peter said, you are elect, whether you've known it before or not. You're chosen in Christ. Can you believe that? Can you look at yourself and say, well, yeah, I deserved it. Come on. (laughs) Nobody deserves to be chosen. That's not the way it works. We are wretches before the Lord, and he in his mercy and his grace, the election of grace and the mercy on the vessels of mercy that he has had, he has afore prepared us unto glory. We need to glorify his name for that. And I say to you this morning, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied as the elect of God, as the chosen of God, as the favored of God. He didn't have to favor anybody. He didn't have to choose anybody. He didn't have to put anybody into the office of salvation. But by foreknowing and setting his love upon a people as a loving father, he has foreknown you and caused you to be elected. And he has sanctified you through his spirit because he has chosen you. And he through the obedience of his darling son on the cross by paying for our sins, suffering and dying and resurrected glorious on that third day and ascended to heaven and on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, as we speak this morning, you are chosen in Christ. May God be praised. May we never fear and may grace be unto you and peace be multiplied as the elect of God. Praise God from Praise Father, Son.
You've been listening to the March to Zion broadcast. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write to the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church is located seven miles east of Gordo and ten miles west of Northport, just off Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. Services are each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Amen.